Amy and I just came back from a rally down on Music Row to try to save RCA Studio A. What's happened is a developer from out of state has bought the property and they plan on demolishing the studio and putting up condominiums. It's something that's happened you know, all over Nashville. It seems to be a bit of an epidemic. I have a feeling it's probably happened in whatever city you live in also. But RCA Studio A has just contributed huge amounts to the cultural identity of Nashville. I'm going to read off a little list here of some people who have recorded at RCA Studio A. And these are recordings that we've listened to our entire lives, classic recordings. But people like Dolly Parton, in 1973, in just one day, she recorded Jolene and I Will Always Love You and three other songs just in one afternoon. That'll give you an idea of the sort of things that have been recorded there. But Dolly Parton, George Jones, Tammy Wynette, Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Eddie Arnold, Johnny Cash, Roy Orbison, Tony Bennett, Perry Como, The Monkees, Leon Russell, you know, the Oak Ridge Boys, the Beach Boys, Jimmy Buffett, George Strait, Garth Brooks, Glenn Campbell, Hank Jr., B.B. King, Leonard Skinner, Neil Diamond, Bob Seger, you know, I could go on for forever, even Henry Rollins. But there's a petition floating around, and you can find it at savestudioa.com. And if this seems like the sort of thing that you would like to preserve, then I urge you to go over there and sign it at savestudioa.com. And we'll see if we can have one less set of condos in Nashville. friends this is otis gibbs and you're listening to thanks for giving a damn i'm sitting here in my home in east nashville this is a personal journal this is a bit of an experiment i'd like to say right up front that i haven't the slightest idea what i'm doing but i decided to do it anyway this show was founded with the idea that there are only two people in art that matter there's the creative individual and the person experiencing it and everything else is an artificial filter This is a way for me to share things with you guys without any filters whatsoever. My guest this week is Kevin Russell. Kevin is a singer and a songwriter who lives in Austin, Texas. You might know him from his band The Gourds or Shiny Ribs. You can find out everything you need to know about Kevin at shinyribs.org. Kevin and I have been trying to get together for almost two years to try to get him on the show. It seems like every time I was in Austin, he would be somewhere else, maybe on the road. And if he came into Nashville, I'd be on the road. But we just kept missing each other. But we finally made it happen. Kevin came to Nashville, and I went over and recorded this at his hotel room. And we had a really good time. We had a lot of laughs. And even when the mics were turned off, it seems like the stories kept going. But I think you'll enjoy this. Here's Kevin Russell. I was not into wrestling at all. I, I, I don't know much about the Von Erichs, except some of my girlfriends were really into the Von Erichs. <laughs> <laughs> when I was a kid, I loved wrestling, but I, I was in Beaumont at the time, and I loved Houston wrestling. That was like a local 
So you'd get uh, Andre the Giant, you know, come through. And uh, we watched that every morning, or like it was every Sunday morning, I guess. It would come on Houston Wrestling. And they had that old, you know, the nut rocker, that rockabilly version of the nutcracker. That was the opening theme to it. So we, me and my brother would pick up pillows and throw them at each other, you know, and do the whole wrestling thing. And yeah, that was my wrestling life was that. And then I got to a certain age and I stopped watching it. There were some wrestlers that hung out at these uh, titty bars in Shreveport near the bar where I first started playing. I was about 17 when I started playing in Shreveport in clubs. And uh, there was a titty bar next to the biker bar I played at. And there was my drummer. He he was into wrestling. He knew all these wrestlers. There was a couple of wrestlers who hung out there, and he was always excited about it. He'd go over there, not to see the titties, but to meet the wrestlers. <laughs> <laughs> So it was yeah I was I, I played a biker bar between a heavy metal club and a titty bar in Shreveport down there. It was a good place, Cafe Cafe Directoire. That's where I, that was my first gig. <laughs> Ever see any bad things happen with the bikers? No, it was always mellow, man. Nothing bad happened there. Um, yeah, I mean I, we would play like really kind of um, real crappy versions of Stevie Ray Vaughan songs, you know. But that was when it was kind of a new thing. <laughs> and, uh, and Brady Blade would come in. I don't even know Brady Blade. He He's a drummer from Shreveport. Played with a bunch of people. Played with Emily Harris. I know quite a bit. And uh, brother Brian Blade. And uh, Anyway, he would come in and sit in with us. And it was a lot of people we knew would come in. That's how we kind of got the band going. Is whoever wandered into that bar and sat in with us. <laughs> Paul Griffith from Shreveport, yeah, he was in A Train. This band called A Train. Uh, he was in that with it was him and Buddy Flett, the Flett brothers, and uh, yeah, we met those guys. I was I just had a little kind of punk rock band, but they loved us for some reason. Those those A Train guys and Paul was always cool to us. And yeah, yeah. He's a great guy, great guy. Yeah, yeah. I had seen. I talked to him occasionally and talked about playing with him at some point. So it'd be cool. I had a dream of getting. Uh, him and uh, Papa Molly, Malcolm Wellburn, who's from Freeport, and David Egan, who's a keyboard player, and, uh, and maybe Brady, all together in Shreveport and maybe record sometime. But I know David. David's sick now, I think, so I don't know if that'll happen or not, but maybe we'll try and do it. Yeah, well, the, the Lomax thing, I, um, I guess it was there was... What got me into that was the Bristol Sessions. That was kind of the first record I remember hearing where it was country music before Hank Williams. You know, because that was, for me, that was where country music began for the longest time. And my dad told me, you know, Hank Williams, and then you go from there. <laughs> and so I remember that when the Bristol Sessions came out, it just blew my mind. I heard that one night. I was with my girlfriend in Shreveport. And uh, the same night, I, I heard Bristol Sessions. She bought this record for me, and we played it, and we were both blown away by it. And then later on that night, we saw uh, Power of Myth with Joseph Campbell. I'd never heard of that guy before. And Chet Baker, I saw after that, Chet Baker, some concert came on. I'd never heard, didn't know who Chet Baker was at that point. It was a banner night. And uh, and so from that point on, that record um, got me interested in that. And um, I think it was a, a buddy of mine, Dan Nugent, uh, who was one of my musical gurus, record store lifer, <laughs> who uh, I think at some point he put something in my hand that was the Lomax recording. It's probably Alan Lomax, the stereo stuff. But 
Uh, and then Lead Belly was big in, in Shreveport. People love Lead Belly there. A lot of musicians. And I, I didn't, you know, it was an education for me. They go out every year to his grave at his birthday and they, st- they sit around, they play his songs and it's, it's uh, sanctioned by his family and everything. So it's, it's not creepy or anything. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Uh, so yeah, I just, I went whole hog into that whole trip and, um, that's kind of where I picked up the mandolin and, and, and that in influenced and inspired a lot of what I did with the gourds early on. I liked, I liked my idea was to take those, those forms, uh, chord formations, those melodies, those ideas. And I mean, the lyrics and a lot of that stuff are really trippy, you know, and as much as you can understand, um, like there were, I couldn't find, I, there was nothing called the internet that I knew of at the time. <laughs> it existed, but I wasn't aware of it. <clears throat> so I, you know, I would just try and write down what these words were. I couldn't understand those recordings are so bad that, you know, so it, to me is, that's kind of how I started writing a lot of surreal things because I, just trying to write what they were singing and misunderstood them a lot. And I think that's that early country music. I, from what I've read is uh, a lot of that was confusion over lyrics. Like same with AP Carter and wildwood flower. Like those, those lyrics are trippy, man. And uh, it's cause they just misunderstood and he wrote them down off some song he heard some tin pan alley song or something on the radio, you know? And so he just wrote it down and he copped a lot of that stuff that way and uh, I love that idea of songs being passed from person to person over time and they morph and change and get twisted and perverted to me that's just great I love that never saw Lightning Hopkins I saw Manslipscombe once I saw uh, Sunny uh, uh, Sunhouse I saw Sunhouse at uh, I think it was Sunhouse in Shreveport at Enoch's uh, yeah, he came through there. I Do you think remember it was anything him. about that in particular? I, well, I just, I, I mean, the, what I remember mostly is that people weren't really, I mean, there was a group of people who were listening and a group of people who didn't even know who the fuck he was. <laughs> and I remember kind of being pissed off. <laughs> like, so there was a lot of great blues that came through Shreveport. There used to be this guy there uh, named Raymond Blakes, big old black dude. Must have been 6'5", 300 pounds. Played a flying V, and his top E string was the G string of a of a bass guitar. It was huge, and he played with his thumb, and chanked his reverb cranked all the way. And man, play with, and he would break those strings with his thumb, you know. And his wife, uh, she played drums. She's still alive and playing there, I think. I heard, but uh, Paul knows about Raymond Blake. She, he's probably got some Raymond Blake stories, but oh uh, yeah, that was, there was a lot of great blues around there. When you say the thing about people not paying attention to Sunhouse, mm-hmm. I've heard a bunch of stories about Towns Van Zant that way. Yeah. It seems like a lot of the gigs. Yeah. It's probably like a lot of the gigs that we have where a lot of the people just happen to be there. They just happen to be there, yeah. yeah. Those are the worst gigs. I mean, it doesn't happen to me very often anymore. I've gotten good at just uh, inflicting myself on the audience. but. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, and I do it positively. Used to, I would do it negatively, but, <laughs> but he was old at the time, and I think he just didn't give a shit, you know. And uh, he was just doing his thing, and he was brought in to do a show, and his age. I think Towns, you know, I think Towns didn't give a shit either if people listened or not. He probably did, but he, he was. I think he was in his own world, and if you want to listen, great. If you don't, no big deal. I didn't think he really cared. Did you ever get to meet him? Never met him. No. Never Did you see him live? Yeah, I saw him a couple times. 
in uh, Austin at the Cactus Cafe or you know little places like that. It was like uh, I never saw Blaze Foley either. I mean, I didn't ever get to see Blaze Foley, but um, it was the same deal where they're just not. They don't think they were as appreciated as you would think they were now. I mean, <laughs> they're more appreciated now than they were then and that's usually the case for a lot of the great ones i think i think it's a big lie that yeah. the cream rises to the top and if you're great <laughs> if you're great you'll get discovered and towns is one of a perfect example perfect example i mean he had issues you know I, I think he had some some mental illness you know from what i gathered you know he had he had some issues you know but um alcoholism and he, he struggled with things and that makes it harder for everybody anybody that in any walk of life if you have those problems going on and they're they're probably undiagnosed and he doesn't want to be diagnosed either right so he's he's perfectly happy happy quote unquote <laughs> leave me alone but yeah uh i didn't know him though i've been cool i don't know that much about the history of it i mean i played there uh right at the, near the end of its uh existence but uh there's pic- there's I just saw a picture recently of us playing there, the Gords playing there. When we first started, we play Austin Outhouse. Uh, I don't know much about the history of it though. To me, it was just another little place to play in Austin, kind of like the hole in the wall. I mean, I played a hole in the wall more than the outhouse. And where I don't know, it was strange where it was in that neighborhood there. I you wouldn't think there would be a club there. But at that time there was no not as many rules. And the students didn't seem to there didn't seem to be as many students either, so it's grown. But um, where was the outhouse? Yeah, it's down on uh, the on Guadalupe, um, kind of like I want to say like thirty thirty second Street, something like that. It's not quite the thirty fifth, so it was it was south of thirty fifth and uh, north of like twenty sixth Street. So it's in there somewhere. I can't tell you exactly the cross street, but uh, and uh, I only did a couple of gigs there. We did a benefit there one time for uh, Sweet Gary Newcomb because all of his gear got, he was a steel guitar player, and his all of his gear got burned up in a fire at his house. And uh, we had a benefit for him there. I remember that. I remember that being a significant show. It was us and the Damnations and, uh, and maybe a couple other bands. But uh, that night, I remember that night really well because that, I think that was a night that I, I learned something about how, how to sing. And my voice changed that night. I sang this song. It was an old Gord song called The Web Before You Walk Into It. And I just sang the hell out of that song that night. I don't know why. It was just one of those moments. And like after the show, um, I remember Amy Boone from The Damnation, she came over and she's like, what was that? She's like, I've never heard you sing like that. I, like, I don't know. And, and, I, and after that, I just started singing more that way. I think I really... I found something that night at the outhouse. I that really well. Yeah, Ray Wiley. Um, how did I meet Ray Wiley? I don't know. It's like Ray Wiley. I think he, uh, like he just showed up in my life. Like he just appeared. I, I, well, I, we did, actually, the Gords did a show with him. That was the first time I ever met him. That's what it was. It was a little show. There used to be this cool little um, show these girls did called the, the Swappin' Bop something like that. It was like they would have vintage people with vintage clothes and vintage things. And they'd have these little markets downtown Austin and they do, uh, they'd have bands and it was, uh, you know, once every couple of months they'd have 
a little swapping bop. And I think it was that. I think Ray Wiley was there. He might have played. The, the Gords were playing. And I, I saw him. I was like, dude, I know this is wrong, but I want you to come up seeing Redneck Mother with us. Because <laughs> we do Redneck Mother. <laughs> and he, he looked he looked less than, less than thrilled. <laughs> he was like, all right. <laughs> and so, so he came up. And it, it, he, of course, he sings it differently than we play it, and it was pretty much a train wreck. But, <laughs> <laughs> but we became friends strangely after that. Uh, got to know him just off and on, just doing stuff. And we had, and we got known for that cover for a while. I, I don't know why. It's a really bizarre thing. We we started playing it because we were in Amarillo one night at a place called Boondocks Bar and Grill, biker bar there. And it we we just it was one of those classic moments like the Blues Brothers thing where you're like oh where are we? <laughs> they hired us for a crawfish boil because they thought we were a Cajun band. <laughs> we're like we're not a Cajun. We have an accordion, and that was good enough for people in Amarillo actually. But uh, but I was like well you know we were struggling like what are we gonna play? I was like well I I know Redneck Mother. I'm like yeah let's do that. <laughs> it was a big hit. And then we started playing it pretty regularly after that and. Uh, it was pretty funny. So, uh, yeah. Uh, and then I, it was a little time before we, we became better friends, but I, I asked him to sing on my first record, and he was he said, nobody's ever asked me to sing on a record. <laughs> he was a little nervous about it on uh, that song, East Texas Rust. That's him doing the sort of the breakdown hip-hop soliloquy there. Usually it's just me and him in a battle for one-liner supremacy <laughs> in the green room. <laughs> I remember one night though in Portland, it was funny. His his wife Judy, she was like, I, me and him were talking, and it was funny. We we're just it was going and going, and uh, and she looked at it and she's like, I think you bet your match, Ray. <laughs> <laughs> he gave me a look like you better leave. <laughs> uh, he's a sweetheart. Uh, I've been trying to hook up with him. He's got some new pedal. He's bragging about. So I want to go try it out. Some tube pedal thing you know he yeah. claims his tone tone nirvana <laughs> he's always searching for that that guy so uh, there was one night too i was i guess it was in portland we played with him at the wonder ballroom and uh he opened for the gorge and um it was great you know and i was like before the show i was, I was like dude um you should uh do snake farm with us tonight That'd be fun, right? And he's like, yeah. And so we he, at Soundcheck, he got up and went through a little bit of it. It's just one chord, you know, basically. And and it was great. It would be Snake Farm. And then he played it in his set. He played Snake Farm. And I was like, what the hell, dude? I, <laughs> then he came back up in our show and he did it again. So. <laughs> yeah. He's like, well, I, you know, I got to play Snake Farm in my show. <laughs> I didn't tell you I wasn't going to play it in my show. <laughs> I told you I'd play it in your show. <laughs> Crafty veteran. Crafty veteran. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, John T. Guy. I go way back. Um, met him through um, Mike Stewart, who was uh, the Gord's producer, manager uh, early on. And Mike and John D., you know, Mike was part of the True Believers thing. And he knows John D. through those days with uh, True Believers and John T., I, one of my favorite people in the world. I don't see him enough, but when I do, it's always like I learn a lot from that, just being in his presence. He's just a super cool guy. 
Um, there's nobody like him. There's nobody like him. I mean, sometimes I feel like he there's there's also like some dark cloud that's following him. <laughs> you know, he's like he's like Winnie the Pooh, <laughs> and in like the Gothic forest. You know, <laughs> it's a strange strange life he leads, and um, I mean, it just seems that way to me. I don't, you know, I don't spend many days with him, but um, you know, last time I spoke with him he told me the story about this jewish uh myth about the how the world began and he was talking about this he said he said it's a story that says there was a little box and inside of the box was this light and it just broke open the light broke open out of the box and i mean he was telling me how the universe began and it was we were behind the continental club there and uh I've I've never forgotten that. It's just, I don't anything like that happens between me and John D. I just I remember it sticks with me, and, and he's he's always giving me advice, and he never listens to any of my advice I give him. <laughs> 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 Maybe John D's an arrogant bastard, <laughs> <laughs> and his bear drawings are awesome. He gave me a bear drawing last. I did a John D and friend with him, one of those Sunday shows, and he had a big box of his bear drawings he's like here you can take pick one whichever one you want so i found a really cool one in there i uh i was, I was pretty excited about it he gave me one of those i have it up in my living room yeah yeah um, i need to frame mine and put it up that's what i ought to do too mine's yeah. kind of leaning against a shelf <laughs> but that's how i display artwork <laughs> yeah he used to john d also i mean we've had so many there's so many things that it's hard for me to remember but when Shiny Riz first started, he used to. I used. I'd, I was doing these Wednesday shows at Threadgills, um, and I'd play like eight o'clock, nine o'clock shows. And he was doing his regular ten o'clock Wednesdays at Continental Residency. He always does. So I told him, "Well, come down, you know, and play with us for a little while every Wednesday." This through a whole summer, and uh, he did. And he was kind of. He was in a. He's kind of in a dark place at that time. Uh, and I knew that, but I was like, well, I just thought it'd be fun to play with him. And he'd, so he'd bring his lap still and sit in with us. He didn't know any of the songs, you know, and, but he was there and he was with it and, uh, playing great. And we'd have these great times and then he'd, he'd have to leave, you know, for his show in the middle of our show. So that was part of the shtick was like, he would just, he's like, don't say anything. Don't even acknowledge that I'm leaving. <laughs> He's like, I'm just going to walk off and don't just pretend I wasn't there. I was like, oh, that's great with me. So we never did. It was like he'd just come and he would go like a phantom. And uh, and the very last show, I was like, all right, this time we gotta, we're going to have a fight on stage. We're going to have it out. Nothing, you're going to storm off. He's like, okay. So that's what we did. We were like cussing at each other. <laughs> we made a big scene out of it. It was great. It was great. Yeah. <laughs> and he's apologized now since he's like, I, you know, dude, I don't know. I'm sorry if I played badly or if I did anything wrong. He's like, I, did, I wasn't of right mind at that time. You know, he did the, 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 the AA thing, apologizing. I don't, you're fine. Don't worry. <laughs> it's all good. I'm glad you're better, but, you know. Well, maybe he doesn't remember that that breakup fight. It was might have, he might have thought it was <laughs> <laughs> John D, you are forgiven. <laughs> I appreciate you <clears throat> inviting me into your hotel room here. This is a, I try to avoid hotel rooms and musicians. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> it's pretty 
pretty swanky. Quite a view. It's very nice. There's a pool out here that I think maybe we'll go sip martinis at the yeah, pool. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'd like to thank everybody for listening in, and I'd like to thank Kevin for inviting me into his hotel room here in Nashville. You can find out everything you need to know about Kevin at shinyribs.org. If you'd like to help support this show, just go to otisgibbs.com and you can pick up a CD, a t-shirt, you can download any record I've ever made, you can buy one of my photographic prints, you can buy one of Amy's records, you can buy one of Amy's children's books, but anything that you buy, we'll mail from our living room to yours and we'll even put in a little thank you note. If you'd like to help out but you're a little short on cash, just go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Leave a comment. Subscribe while you're there and you'll get a brand new episode free every Wednesday. But if you enjoy this show, or you enjoy my music, or you enjoy Amy's music, please take the time to tell a friend and help us spread the word. And if you'd like to send us a message, we'd love to hear from you. Just send it to info at otisgibbs.com. I'm Otis Gibbs. Thanks for giving a damn.